let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Aaron. I felt like I was getting ready for like a boxing match, like getting introduced, <laughs> getting pumped up. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Yeah. You guys doing good? Wow. Take a look around. I don't think I've ever seen this room so packed. You know, um, my husband was actually showing me, he used to lead this ministry. And the other day he was you know, showing me a picture of YCF, what this was called a couple of years ago. And there was about eight students at the time. Can you imagine? Two rows, not even. Two rows of students, that's where we began. And to go from two rows, every semester we had a tradition of praying over all the seats. So in the beginning, you guys did that a little bit during the uh, intercession time, but in the beginning we'd have to walk around and lay hands on every single empty seat. And it took a while. And so you would just be roaming row to row to row to row. And some of the students that are in here can remember when we were maybe half of, half of this main section. And to go from that to almost every seat being filled, seriously, it's just uh, it's amazing. God is so good. Uh, he, was, he kept telling me, I need, I need more credit. He was like, y'all need to know where you came from. <laughs> I was like, all right, honey, we'll get you a shirt with all the student leaders' faces on it. All right. I, I see where this is going. I see what you really want. You want those monkey pajama pants. Can I get someone to help me? Jensen, can you lift this up? I'm little. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and so to be here tonight and to just preach the final message, our first joint large group. We never had a joint large group because we only had one large group. But this semester, we kicked off our first uh, large group at SNU. SNU, are you guys here? Yo, yo, we, had a, we, had a, we have a cacao room, all right, with just staff. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Rona cacaoed everybody and was like, oh, I think my students have a lot of work. They have a lot of exams. They have a lot of things to get done. Can you pray that they would have the grace to come tonight and grace that they would do well on all of their exams. So SNU, we got you. All right. We got you. Is Ruth here? Cause Ruth better be here. Ruth, are you here? There she is. There you go. Good girl. Good girl. Good girl. Yeah. Way to keep those priorities straight. Proud of you. Jensen, you made this a little bit too high. Can you make it a little bit lower? <laughs> you know, last night, that's good right there. Uh, I went on a date with my husband. I know. Married people do that. And, um, you know, we went on a date and we went out and we had a lovely dinner at an Italian restaurant and we ate outside on the terrace. And then we went bike riding at the Hangang. And it was really scary because there's all these like professional bikers, like hardcore cyclists that like Alex, like Alex, like 20 Alexes and... You know, like in their helmet and gear and like, you know, on the bike, when they're like leaning like this and biking, I was like sitting like this with my basket and people whizzing by me. It was really stressful. It wasn't, it wasn't that fun. Um, and then afterwards we got to see a movie at IFC mall, great Gatsby. Any of you guys saw that movie yet? Great Gatsby. You know, I love, uh, I love Jesus, but I also like Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> I mean, he's the man. I mean, every movie that he's been in, listen, y'all don't know, he used to be part of a TV show called Growing Pains. That was like back in the 80s. Yeah, see, none of y'all just, there was no connection there. But um, it was when he was like 12 years old, he was on that show. Anyway, my love started then. So I'm like an OG fan of Leonardo DiCaprio. But I watched the film and, you know, I read the book. I really enjoyed the book when I was in high school. And I watched the film and it was, it was really well done. It was beautiful. Um, it was also very sad. Uh, if, I won't reveal the whole plot of the film. I know some of you guys are probably going to watch it. But it really shows, I guess, what life would be like when you pursue worldly pursuits. Um, and it just leaves you empty. And um, ultimately you know, leads to uh, dissatisfaction. And so I walked away from the movie, you know, thinking, wow, that was a beautifully done film, but my heart ached a little bit. And uh, I remember the thing about the film that kind of stirred me the most was 
talking about the matter of time. And here is this main character. I don't know if you guys know the story that well, but Leonardo DiCaprio um, is the, I guess, one of the main characters. And the story is told from another character. And, man, I'm doing a terrible job explaining this movie. Um, You know, so there's a plot, and there's these characters. And needless to say, there's a line where it talks about Leonardo DiCaprio's character chasing something that was already behind him. And it made me think, man, you know, the way that we handle our time really impacts our experience. And especially as we're getting ready to close this chapter of this semester of spring 2013, I can't help but just think about time. I've spoken with a couple of you guys, and it's just so easy to say, man, time flew by. You know, this semester, this year, it just whizzed by. Maybe it's going really slow for you guys now because of finals and exams. It's funny, when you're watching a movie, it's like this. But when you got a paper to write, it's like tick, tick, tick. Unless you got a deadline. And then it's like, you're like, dang. You know, that one minute break on Facebook turns into like 40 minutes. Where did the time go? I don't know. But we end up being slaves to time. We wear watches. We're constantly checking the time. When you're in class, I'm assuming you're constantly checking your phone, constantly checking your watch. You know, the thing about time is, even though each of us have the same amount of time each day, 24 hours, no matter your gender, no matter your race, no matter your background, no matter your family, no matter your name, no matter your age, we all have 24 hours of time, yet our experience of that time is completely different. And as you guys are ready to close this time up and get thrusted into another time, a new season, another chapter, whether it's another chapter here in Korea or another chapter back at home, I thought to myself, you know what? If there's anything I want to leave these students with, it's I wanted to talk about the tensions of time. And there's four things that I want to mention about the tensions of time four aspects of time that may seem contradicting. When you look at it, when you hear me say it, it's like you're basically telling us to do the exact opposite of what you just told us to do. That makes no sense. It's these contradictions. Slow down, speed up. But there's a tension that God wants you and I to constantly live in when it comes to how to deal with our time. And I'm, I'm going to talk about four different tensions. And I feel like if we can grasp these four tensions, we can live a victorious life. So my message tonight, I actually wrote a title for once. I never write titles. And usually JMAT writes all my titles for me. Um, but uh, it's called Living in the Tension of Time. It sounds very profound, doesn't it? The message itself is quite simple, but the title sounds complicated. Living in the tension of time. And I'm going to give you four pointers about time that we have to continue to live in each day. All right, the first tension of time is forget. Right, forget. Number one, forget. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. I'm going to talk a little bit about your past. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Do you guys remember the little thing that I taught you guys at the retreat with Galatians and Ephesians? There we go. God eats potato chips. Somebody remembers. All right, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, okay? Potato. Chapter 3, verses 12 to 15, it says this. uh, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. 
verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have obtained, attained. It says this, not that I've obtained this, but forgetting what lies behind. The first tension you need to live by when it comes to your time is you got to forget the past. You need to forget the old you. When you guys go back to familiar scenarios, some of you going back home, you're going to go back to a familiar place where the old you used to be, the old friends and the old lifestyle and the old addictions and the old trials and the old hatred and the old unforgiveness kind of slaps you across the face. You need to remember this first key here is you got to forget. If you're going to move forward in this life, if you're going to continue to pursue your destiny, if you're going to continue to allow God to transform you glory to glory, you have to forget what lies behind because that is not who you are anymore. And the number one attack that many of you are going to face is you haven't changed. That retreat, are you kidding me? That was just a, that was just a little high. That was just a a good old times. That's only just for Korea. You can only experience that in Korea. You can only experience that feeling at a retreat. You can only experience that freedom when you're at New Philly or when you're at Emmaus. But when you're back here, when you're in this situation, when you're surrounded by your family members who hurt you, abused you, it's back to the old you. When you hear those whispers, you better believe that that's not God speaking to you. You need to understand that the devil wants you to remain in your past, but God wants you to forget all of that, forget what lies behind and to pursue, to go ahead, to move forward. You know, there's a story of Lot and his wife, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story in Genesis, is Abraham is Lot's cousin, And when God called Abraham out of his home and out of his comfort, he called him into a place that Abraham had no idea. And he found himself in this area and him and his cousin Lot, they ended up having so much wealth, so much success that they couldn't share the same plot of land. So they turned to each other and said, all right, we got to split up. You need to go one way. I need to go another way because we just have too much cattle. We have too much herds of sheep or whatever animals they had back in that day. And so let's split up. So they decided to split up. Abraham let Lot choose. And so he chose a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah, and he ended up living there. And what ended up happening was that place was so corrupt. It was so filled with evil. It was so bad that when two angels of God came to visit, they were at the town square, two angels of God. They're at the public square in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot sees them and is like, okay, you guys can't be here. You need to come with me. Come into my, my house. I'll take care of you. You can't stay in this public square. It's too dangerous. Come stay with me. These two angels receive Lot's invitation. They go to Lot's house. And in the middle of the night, boom, 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 the door starts banging. And all the men of the town have gathered because they saw these two men who they didn't realize were angels. And they said, give us those two men that we saw earlier. We want to sleep with them. These are the men of Sodom and Gomorrah banging on the door of Lot's house because they want to pretty much gang rape the two angels. Can you imagine that? You want to talk about evil? This place was evil. It was so filled with sin. And Lot himself, he was no angel. You know what he ended up doing? This story kills me is he decided, here, take my virgin daughters instead. When I first read that in scripture, I remember thinking, that's jacked up. And I misunderstood that story as like what God wanted. Does it make sense? Like I thought, oh, God wants to give the virgin daughters to the rapists of the town. I just didn't understand God's character. And then later on, as I matured as a believer, I realized, oh, Lot didn't do the right thing. It took me a while to get there. But can you imagine how evil this place was? And all of a sudden, these two angels of God turned to Lot and said, we're going to destroy this place. God is going to come down in fire and completely destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of all the evil. But because of you, we're going to save you and your family. But we got to go now. So here are these two angels of God coming in to deliver Lot and his family. You hear that? Lot and who? 
his family. Everything that you received, folks, is not just reserved for you. The blessings, the breakthrough, the revelation, the knowledge, the healing, that's for you and who? Your family. Okay, that's why Rona's word earlier was so potent and it was so powerful because I know some of you guys are feeling hopeless when it comes to family. But because you have been transformed, you should have a great faith for your family. So these angels say to Lot, you and your family, we're going to deliver you, but we got to go right now. And so Lot gathers his family and he says, all right, guys, he gathers his children. He gathers his wife. We got to go. And they start leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, leaving it behind them. And man, it's starting to like rain a fire for real. God's judgment is coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah is blowing up in fire and smoke. And the angel specifically said this, don't turn around. When we move forward, don't even look back because if you look back, you'll be destroyed. God was taking Lot's family out of sin. He was taking Lot's family out of addiction. He was taking Lot's family out of evil. He was delivering them into a new place, into a place of hope, into a place of destiny. But the key thing that the angel of the Lord said, don't look back. Unfortunately, Lot's wife must have really missed home. Must have not felt the waves of heat on her back as she was leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. And she decided, you know what? I just want to take one last look. (laughs) And as she looks around, boom, instantly she turns into a pillar of salt and is destroyed. The significance of this story here in Genesis is pretty blatant. It's pretty much in your face. God is saying, don't look back. Why? Because the moment you look back, the moment you decide to take one last look at the old you, the moment you allow yourself to be entrapped with everything that's being destroyed. The wages of sin are death. The wages of sin are death. Therefore, when we walk away from sin, when we're delivered from sin, there's no turning back. There's no use in taking a look back. One last look. I remember when I broke up with one of my boyfriends, you know, I was trying to be all Korea dramatic and it's like, it's over. (laughs) And walk away for that one last long goodbye look. What? No. When it comes to your sin, when it comes to your old lifestyle, there should be no reminiscing. And here's the thing. God says, forget it. Forget what lies behind. Forget all that you have left behind. Forget the addiction, forget the enjoyment that you might've felt while doing sin, forget it. It's not worth it. That part of your life has been destroyed. You have gone through healing and deliverance. You've been set free. You've confessed your sins. You've gotten delivered supernaturally at the altar. It's done. It's burned up. Don't look back. Forget it. Even when you step into familiar territory, even when you step back into old places, you got to remind yourself, I'm not that person anymore. Even when you look at that person in the face that hurts you, you say, you know what? I'm not that person anymore that held bitterness against you. I'm a new creation. I've forgiven you. I can now look at you and say, I've blessed you. Forget what lies behind. Do not let the devil cause you to turn back just one last glance. And can you believe that's how he works? He doesn't say return to that life. He doesn't tempt us with that. I mean, we're too smart for that. Oh, go back to that backslidden life. No one falls into that. It just goes, take one look. That's how he works. Just take one glance. Just take one last glance. Just do it one last time. And after this, you'll be done forever. Just tonight, just tonight, just allow yourself one good drink. And and then after this drunk, drunk. prophetic you know after this drink you know we're done now don't even take a look back forget it it's done it's gone that's not who you are anymore come on turn to your neighbor and say forget forget Forget. (laughs) it's so funny I mentioned this in one of my messages before I think my last message at Emmaus last semester You should check out that message because that was a good message. But when I talked about what I talked about in that message is creating new paths. 
And I was saying how when you go home, there are old paths that you make, old paths of getting angry at your mom, old paths of, you know, cutting class, old paths of smoking weed, things that you've established, you've done it over and over and over and over again, that it's just become so familiar. Even when you're not thinking about it, you find yourself in that place again. And when you go back to that old place as a new person, you realize you have to make new paths and it's not easy to make a new path. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to make a new path, but irregardless of the old situation, do not forget who you are. You are new. You are whole. You are redeemed and you are restored. So for you to fall back into old patterns makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That is not for you, nor will that happen. Amen? Amen. Forget. That's the first tension. The second tension is remember. The first one I said, forget, forget the old you. Forget who you used to be. Forget that person that was broken and discouraged. Forget the old identities of shame. Forget the guilt. Forget the sins that used to make you feel guilty as soon as you walk into service. The sins that made you feel uncomfortable looking at me in the eye. Like, hey, Pastor, what's going on? It's nice to see you. Gotta go. I know what you're thinking. Forget that. That's not you anymore. Now you can happily hug me. Now you can say hi. Now you don't feel judged or condemned, which I never did, by the way. It was in your own mind. I remember when I was mad backslidden, I never looked at pastors. I could swear they looked, they like looked right through me. Like one time I caught eyes with a pastor, like totally accidentally. And, um, like I thought he saw through my bones. You know, he looked at me and I was like, Oh my gosh, he knows everything. You know, like I just was freaking out and I couldn't look at him again. I was just so filled with shame. Forget that. Forget that. We've pokey head. We'd let go. We've discarded. We've forgotten. How do you, what's a direct translation of pokey head? Give up. We've given up. We've given up. Don't forsaken. <laughs> Don't pick up the rags that were taken off of you and put them back on. It's done. The second tension, like I said, is remember. You're called to forget the old you, but you still have to remember what God has done. Exodus 13, 3. It says this, Moses said to the people, remember that day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. Yeah, forget the old you, but don't forget what God has done. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that God delivered you. Don't forget that it was by his mighty power and his supernatural love that you found your pl- yourself in a place like Emmaus. Don't forget the supernatural divine appointments that you met. You came here and you didn't even think it was going to be a Christian group. And then all of a sudden you realize people are saying, Jesus, you're confused. But somehow you get blessed. Don't forget. Remember what God has done. Psalms seventy-seven eleven says this, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. That was Psalms seventy-seven eleven. Psalms 105, 5 says, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. You know, all of these Psalms are often referring to what the Israelites went through because the Israelites had a really bad problem. Their problem was they never remembered. They remembered the wrong things. Okay. Here was the Israelites. They were kept in, in slavery for like 420 years under the Egyptians, building pyramids. Okay. Getting whooped, getting treated like they were trash completely oppressed by the Egyptians. They cried out, God, where are you? Where are you? Why have you forsaken us? God hears their cries, raises up a leader named Moses. And Moses plays this incredible role along with his uh, brother, Aaron. And is Aaron, his brother, his cousin, Aaron and Miriam brother, his brother, Aaron and his sister, Miriam. And the three of them end up being a leadership to seeing the whole oppressed people of Israelites being set free, delivered. You guys ever watched the Prince of Egypt? Many nights we prayed with no hope. Anyway, um, I still have that album. I used to love that album. 
Great movie. Not all biblically sound, though. However, here was this Moses leading the Egyptians out of oppression. And if you guys know the story, 10 plagues were given to the Egyptians. I mean, you want to talk about a supernatural breakthrough? This was supernatural. And at the end of it, God parts the Red Sea. Here's the Egyptian army running up because Pharaoh's like, what did I just do? I just let them go. I changed my mind. And so he sends the army to get everything back. And the Israelites are on the right over here, right in front of the Red Sea. They have nowhere to go. In front of them is the sea. Behind them is the Egyptians coming to get them. They can't turn around. They can't go behind because it's forget what lies behind, right? And Moses lifts up his staff, lifts up his staff, and the Red Sea parts into two. And God supernaturally has the Israelites walk through the Red Sea. Now, I don't know if you guys ever thought about how crazy that is, but that's absolutely insane. That's, that's incredible. What these Israelites saw were supernatural signs and wonders. Yet the moment they stepped into the wilderness, all they did was complain. Complain, 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 complain. And they did two things. They forgot and they remember. I told you to do these two things. But they forgot what God had done. And they remembered how good it was living under the Egyptians' captivity. Can you imagine? Oh, when we were under oppression. Of course, they didn't say it like that. But at least when we were in Egypt, we had good food. At least when we were in Egypt, we had some good meat to eat. What is this? We're, we were so hungry. Why did God deliver us to kill us out in the wilderness? They forgot his good works. They remembered their past or the joys of their past, their sinful past, their past of oppression. And they ended up finding themselves in complete and utter unbelief. Now, remember I said it was a tension because I told you to forget, but you got to forget the right thing. And I told you to remember, and you got to remember the right thing. You need to forget the old you, and you need to remember what God has done. And when you guys look back on your semester, I'm pretty sure that there's some beautiful testimonies that God has written in these past three months. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Meaning, really, when it comes to credibility, you get no credit in this story. Okay, it's not because of your dandy, you know, good work. Congratulations. It's really God's divine intervention, his grace, his love, his ability to pierce through our darkness, his ability to break down barriers, his ability to love us first before we loved him that has allowed you and I to experience some of the greatest blessings. And when you return into this, into your homes, when you go on to this next stage of your life, you better believe you need to remember all of those things. Our problem is, is that we remember the good times of our old days, don't we? We think, oh man, I remember when I was clubbing, I had so much fun. I remember the pregame when you would, you know, get all with all your girls, you put all makeup together with the music blasting and dance. Man, that was so much fun. Oh, I remember how good food tastes when I was high. And I remember how funny everything was and... <laughs> Oh, I remember the good times of not having to go to class and just hang up. You just remember, and you completely have forgotten the fact that you were completely empty. The fact that after the high, you felt completely alone. You've forgotten that after you were drunk and had the time of your life in the club, the next day, you felt stupid when you found out from your friends everything that you did. You've completely, you've forgotten all the dumb things. You've forgotten all the results. You've forgotten all the consequences. Oh, but you want to remember how fun it was back in the day. Yeah, we easily forget what God has done. We forget those moments, those breakthroughs at retreat. We forget the prophetic words that our small group members spoke over us. We forget that one large group where you came in the altar call, someone laid hands on you, and you couldn't stop crying. You forget we got to change the tension of our times around. we got to choose to forget the things of the old. And we got to choose to remember what God has done in our lives. Why? Because that's what builds up faith. When you remember, all of a sudden, you're reminded, wow, God is strong. No matter what I'm facing right now, I'm remembering that God breaks through. I remember that God hears me when I'm crying. I remember that God is with me when I feel apathetic or numb. He was there all along. I remember. 
And when you choose to remember in these moments, you shift back into a place of being in God's presence. Remember. Come on, tell your neighbor, remember. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 7 says this. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say y'all better not forget me. All right? That's what I'm trying to say. No, what I'm trying to say is remember your leaders. Remember the words. Remember the messages. Remember the small group, you know, discussions that you had. Remember those times your, your small group leader, your familiar leader spoke directly into your situation. Remember the words, the seeds that were sown into you. Remember that. Don't forsake the teaching. Proverbs 3, 1 to 2 says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Don't forget the teaching. Don't forget what you have learned. Do you understand that the moment you learn it, you're held responsible for it? That on the day of judgment, when God comes, he's going to ask you, he's going to look at your life and see how well have they stewarded this. It's not just a matter of, did they believe in me? That's obviously a given, but he's going to ask you, how have you stewarded your time? How have you stewarded these words? How have you stewarded these, re these revelations? And I wonder what kind of answer we're going to give. I hope on that day, I'll be able to proudly say, God, I've stewarded them well. I didn't let your words fall to the ground, but I remember the teaching. I've meditated on the teaching and I've practiced the teaching. I'm not here to entertain you. This is not a movie theater. I'm not Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm here to do one thing, and that's to speak God's truth. What happens after I step down from the pulpit is completely and utterly up to you. Are you going to sit here, be entertained, walk away, and completely forget what I said? Or are you going to choose to remember the words that left my lips? Are you going to choose to water them in your heart? Are you going to choose them to do it rather than just listen to it? Not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And are you going to choose to manifest the power of the gospel because you're doing things out of faith? Remember the teaching. Listen. I'm going to humbly tell you that in this season, while you were with New Philly and while you were with Emmaus, you got some good teaching. I'm not saying this to boast. I'm not saying this out of pride. I'm saying this as a pure truth. There is powerful teaching that goes out. You know how I know it's powerful? Because it changed my life. Because I'm changed by it. Because there's so much fruit from it. But if you walk away fruitless, it's not because the seeds weren't sown. It's because they weren't watered. You know, I remember as a kid, I wanted to plant, you know, a plant. <laughs> and back in the day in like second grade or something, we had this uh, experiment where we put beans and we put it in like a Ziploc bag. And we just like, it, it was the easiest planting ever because you do absolutely nothing. And then like a sprout, you know, whatever. The thing is, I so carefully, I was so excited about this experiment that I put my little beans in the Ziploc bag and I, you know, measured the bean and I was so excited about sprout up or whatever. Unfortunately, I completely lost the Ziploc bag, had no idea where it went and was unable to see the fruit of this. Can you imagine planting a seed somewhere? You work so hard to garden. You dig out all the soil. You dig out all the weeds. You dig out all the crap. You put the seed in. You pat it back in. And then you walk away completely forgetting where, that, where it was. And you're all trying to water this like passive patch of grass, you know, when the garden was over here. We need to remember the teaching. You can't water the teaching. You can't water the seed unless you remember it. The first one is what? Forget. The second tension is what? Remember. I preached a message called remember when. 
And uh, I want to really encourage you guys to check it out because it's a whole sermon on the power of remembering. I can't go into it now, but it's very powerful when you remember. It is. The third tension is perceive. Perceive. Forget, remember, and lastly, uh, not lastly, thirdly, perceive. Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. Why don't you guys open up your Bibles to that passage right there? Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. Uh, let's all read it together. Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. Here we go. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Remember not. Uh-oh, I thought I, I just told you to remember, right? But here the word of God says, remember not. Remember I told you there was tension. This is how God works. He tells you to do one thing and then he tells you to do another. But it all works in balance to, one, to everything. Okay, remember and remember not. Remember not the former things. What this is talking about is what I mentioned earlier in the forgetting section. Is remember not the old. Remember not the shame. Remember not the guilt. Remember not the addiction. Remember not the heartache. Remember not the sorrow. Nor consider the things of the old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? You know, some students do a good job remembering. They do a great job forgetting and they do a good job remembering and they go back into their homes. Let's say you're an exchange student. They go back to California. They go back to New York. They go back to Chicago or wherever they're from. They've forgotten who they are. They've come to this place, their home, victorious, excited. They're remembering all that God has done in New Philly and Emmaus. And the moment they step at home, they realize, oh, things are different here. Oh, the church doesn't praise like New Philly praises. Oh, this college ministry isn't like Emmaus is. Oh, these people don't support me like the staff did. Oh, this, this woman can't preach like Pastor Aaron preaches. That's going to happen, you know? <laughs> and, oh, I don't have the community. I don't have all the things. This is tough. And they begin to just spend all their time remembering the old and not perceiving what God was doing in that moment. And what happens is you become stuck and paralyzed in the past, unable to hear and see what God is doing in the present. The word of God says now. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? You need to understand that what Nephili has, what Emmaus has, is simply the power of the Holy Spirit. That power of the Holy Spirit is not bound by geographic location. It's not bound by a ministry title. It's not bound by a pastor. It's not bound by your staff. It is God that goes before you, meaning the same God that was here over you in Korea, the same God that broke through your apathetic heart, the same God that set you free from that sin, is the same God that's with you wherever you go next. And he's the same God that's invested in your destiny and purpose just as he was here. So you better believe that he's going to do a new work when you return home. But it's your job to perceive it. Some people are so stuck on the past. Remembering the glory days. Oh, remember what God has done. I told you it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. Remember what God has done, but now what God has done in the past has paralyzed you from perceiving things in the future, and you've stepped into the wrong tension. You need to be able to step into that old place or new place or wherever you're going and declare, God, help me to perceive. Help me to be fully present in this place, in this moment, in this time. Because even though it feels like a wilderness, even though it may feel like a desert, Isaiah 43 says he makes ways in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Pastor Christian preached an awesome message called being fully present. You should check that message out. That's like another hour and a half, normal, like two hour message on the power of being present. It was a powerful message. It was such a good word. I'm going to have, who is our media? 
who is our media? JMAC, can you, can you remember to post that up on the Emmaus page? Remember when and fully present. See, what I mean by tension is we got to be able to move back and forth. To understand what God is calling us to in that moment. Sometimes he's saying remember. Sometimes he's saying forget. And sometimes he's saying perceive. And it's this tension and balance that we got to learn. This dance that we need to learn how to do with the Holy Spirit. Because when we stay too long in one arena of forgetting, we forget to move towards the future. When we stay in this one arena in, in remembering, we become contempt and discouraged. When we stay too long in the presence of, of perceiving, we forget all that God has done. And we're too focused on our current circumstances. It's this dance. It's this balance. And you must learn how to perceive. Because now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? This is the number one trap that our students have faced going back home. It's not knowing how to perceive. What they've been able to do is judge. Oh, they've been experts at judging. Oh, they got really good at comparing. And they got really good at feeling like the best was behind them. But that in its entirety is such a deception. Because even though what God has done in the former ways that he's telling you to remember, he's a God that goes from glory to glory. When we end up being like that 40-year-old man who says the peak of his life was he was a quarterback in high school. And now life is just going downhill. It's like the biggest deception ever. See, I can't wait to get old. I mean, I'm young now. You know, you know what I, heard, I read the other day? I read that if people compliment you and saying that you're young, you're already old. Yeah, so. So all of you that said, you look so young, forget you, all right? Forget you. so sad. But I'm excited to get old, er, because I know that as I get older, my faith is going to get stronger. I know that as I get older, I'm going to see greater and greater things. I know that as I get older, I only have things to look forward to. Even in my old age, I want to be the most spirit-filled 80-year-old grandma you'll ever see. Seriously, with my cane and all, shaking. Not under the power of the Holy Spirit, but shaking because I can't stop. Because I'm old. I'm still going to be filled with the power of God. Why? Because I know that at that place, I've gone from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. And I believe that I'm going to be walking in such a wisdom that even young people that come into my presence, they're going to go away repenting. That's gangster, right? And just stand there. Wait, it's going to happen. God... God wants us to have that expectation. He wants us to believe for that because sometimes we have this, oh, it was, it was great when I was 20. It was great. I mean, you guys are 20 now. So, oh, the good old days was when I was 16 or my spiritual life was great when I was at this camp or it was all in the past. Everything good is in the past. Everything is at the, at the peak is in the past. And God is saying, no, are you kidding me? You're barely scratching the surface of his presence. You're barely scratching the surface of his glory. You're not even close. You're not even close to understanding the width of his love, the depth of his love, the height of his love. We're just scratching it. There's so much to look forward to. And we have to learn how to be fully present in order to see what God is doing in that moment. In that moment. So the first one is to forget. The second tension is to remember. The third one is to perceive. And the fourth tension is to hope. Psalm 71.5 says, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Hmm. Psalm 71.14 says, But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. 
Psalm 119 verses 114 says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Romans 15, 13, I'm just going to shoot out a bunch of Bible verses. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And Hebrews 10, 23, I preached on this this past Sunday. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The last tension that you need to be in when it comes to time is learning how to hope. It's learning how to see beyond your present circumstances. It's not just perceiving what God is doing now. It's knowing that God is going to do greater things in the future. It's not only perceiving the sickness that's at hand in your family, but it's hoping for the healing that he can bring. It's not just remembering what God has done in Emmaus this spring 2013. It's not just perceiving what he's doing in your college ministry as revival is starting to break out. It's hoping that things are going to get even better and better and better. I said in Sunday that when you begin to be hopeless, you're already in deception. The thing about, the, the thing about hope is it's completely triggered. It's completely run on faith. It is impossible to hope without faith. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. He's not interested in what you can do for him. He's interested in what you believe about him. And if you believe about him, that God is the God that can change your current situation and your current uh, obstacle or your current circumstance, then you better believe that you've already stepped into the right tension to allow God to make a way in the wilderness and to make rivers in the desert. It's a four-way tension that I want to invite you guys in. All four is a message in itself. I mean, literally. I'm sure there's a message I preached on, hope and encouragement this past Sunday. All four is a message in itself, but we got to understand that we can't stay in one realm at all times. We got to learn how to navigate. We got to learn how to flow. We got to learn how to go in and out, wave in and out of all four tensions to learn how to continually forget, how to continually remember, yet how to continually perceive and how to continually hope. As you guys approach this next phase, this next time in your life, these are four things that I want you to hold on to. You can't stay too long and bind your feet in just one place. You got to do all four. You know, I know that you guys all, um, most of you guys have heard that this semester was a powerful semester for you guys, a powerful semester for the staff, but it was a really difficult time for me. And I shared this, my husband shared this. We're very open because there's power and vulnerability. And, you know, initially we decided, man, should we share this with the church or should we just keep it to ourselves? And we, and we thought, man, if you keep a hardship that you're facing to yourself as a pastor, then you're teaching your congregation to hold things to themselves as well. So we thought, man, if we want our congregation to share with us things that are difficult, then we have to be the forerunners in that. So we decided to share quickly first with our core group, then with our leadership and then with our church about the miscarriage that I would, that I'd gone through this semester and the tensions of that. I just mentioned to you were something I had to go in and out of throughout this season because getting the diagnosis of your baby didn't make it is probably one of the most heart wrenching things you'll ever experience. This was a baby of promise. It was some, it wasn't a, a, like a surprise pregnancy. It was very planned. It was very prayed into. 
It was a sign unto the whole house that God answers prayers, that he heals people. I was physically told that I would need fertility treatment, that I would need, you know, different things. And yet I resisted treatment for season. I'm not saying, you know, treatment is bad or fertility treatment is wrong. I'm just saying I took a season just to pray first. And in that time of prayer, we opened up about my issues with getting pregnant with the church and with the leaders, and they all prayed for me. So when I got pregnant, it was a supernatural miracle. And so to have that miracle, but then to all of a sudden hear that that miracle got just completely slammed was totally devastating. But in the midst of hearing that diagnosis, I had to choose which tension I was going to fall in. Was I going to go into the tension of forgetting all of God's promises? Or was I going to go into the tension of remembering that he was always faithful? And I had to choose in that moment whether I wanted to stay in the place of circumstances that the diagnosis was miscarriage or if I was going to roam into the tension of hope and believe that God could do a miracle. So I had a bunch of different options. And in that first diagnosis that I received from the doctor, I cried. And it wasn't a a beautiful cry. It was a very nasty cry, a very ugly cry, a very, I made the doctor really uncomfortable cry. She was like, there, there, you know, I'm sure she saw many of those situations, but I was bawling. And I got in the car and we texted Pastor Benjamin, my spiritual father, my mentor, And, you know, I remember the words that he spoke to me. I'll never forget it. He said, let yourself grieve because I'll have faith on behalf of the both of you. In that moment, he gave me permission to doubt. Do you understand what he said? It sounds wrong, but in that moment, it was so powerful. What he was saying was, even in your doubt, I'm going to carry you. Even if you can't believe for a miracle, it's okay, cry grieve, but I'm going to believe on your behalf. And so I let myself cry for about another hour in the car. And then as I cried, you know, wiped away my tears, I found myself without realizing it, shifting tensions from the very present to all of a sudden to remembering. And I remembered all of the promises that God had given me about my future pregnancy, about the healing that I would receive, about how faithful he was, about the healings that I've seen even amongst the congregation, that I remembered all the signs and wonders. I remember my story, my history with God, my her story, right? My history with God. And all without realizing it, I found myself in the next tension of hope. All of a sudden, I started believing, you know what? It's not over yet this baby can supernaturally come back to life. It wasn't that I ever saw a baby. I just saw a sack. And in the sack was supposed to be a baby, but it was completely empty. And so it was, she, it was a little sack and very, just empty. By the time I saw the doctor, I should have seen a yolk sack, a fetal pole, or a baby of some sort. It's very small, hard to tell, but you should see it at that stage that I was at. And I thought to myself, you know what? No, I remember Pastor Sonny's testimony about she got diagnosed with a miscarriage, but Pastor Benjamin laid hands on her, and that baby came back to life. And not only did that baby come back to life, that baby was born. And that baby's name is Alethea, and she's three years old now. And so I thought, okay, God can totally do this. So I shifted into the tension of hope, and so that's where I was, I hoped. I hoped so much that it hurt. I hope where I read every book in our bookshelf on healing, I wrote down every Bible verse related to healing in my journal, and I would recite it over and over and pray over and over every day. Every night I'd lay hands on my stomach, and I had my husband lay hands, and we prophesy life over my womb. I hoped to the point where it was ridiculous. I hoped. I remembered, and so I hoped. But after 10 weeks, I found out, in our six-week mark, so it was about four weeks of hoping, four weeks of continually visiting the doctor and seeing sonogram after sonogram. I had about four sonograms with the same picture, except the sack was getting bigger. It was still empty. 
Four times I heard the doctor say, it's a miscarriage. Four times. Can you imagine? And yet I still hoped. There's a passage in Hebrews that says, against all hope, Abraham in hope still believed. That was me. Against all hope, Aaron in hope believed that her baby would have a crazy resurrection. I just believed it. After 10 weeks, it got to the point where this was going to be bad for my, my body. If I continued this and I didn't get surgery, I would have major complications and would may not be able to get pregnant in the future. And so we decided in that moment to forget the hope, to lay it down, and to believe that God was still good, to change our hope to another one that one day we will get pregnant to go back to the place of remembering that God was good in order to be in the present and perceive that he was ministering to me in that moment. It was a jump back and forth, in and out, weaving in and out. I had to find myself doing this dance with the Holy Spirit where he was reminding me, he was helping me to perceive, he was putting hope in me. It was on and off, in and out, ongoing. In all these different categories, I had this crazy dance. And after I had the surgery, I laid there in the surgery room. It was completely traumatizing. It wasn't a happy place, you know what I mean? It was a place where people probably had abortions. It was on a table. I was strapped. I had to go under anesthesia. So they strapped my arms and my legs down because I was so under anesthesia that I would fall off if I wasn't strapped in. So you can imagine I'm strapped in naked, you know, don't imagine that part, but (laughs) strapped in and completely exposed. And I woke up knowing at that moment there was no hope anymore. And I laid uh, on the recovery bed. I had to get IV. And physically, it was painful. I mean, the surgery is very invasive. They just basically take metal instruments and they scrape my uterus. And they throw out, you know, the sack and everything that was in it. And in that moment, I was laying on the bed. I was in so much pain. And I was so heartbroken. But I opened my eyes and I saw my husband praying over me. And I saw my sister-in-law who left work that day to be with me. And she was crying. And I realized that God was shifting me back into the place of the present, forgetting the pain, and realizing that God was with me even in that moment. And when that surgery was done, I was bedridden. Not because I was in pain, but because I was so depressed. And during that time, Rodney Henderson, he's a minister in IHOP, was here. And he would knock on my door. Aaron, hey, Aaron, it's Rodney. You want something to eat, Aaron? No, Rodney, I'm okay. Aaron, okay. Okay, just know that I'm praying for you, girl. I'm praying for and I love you. And then he'd walk away. And that night he would come home with flowers or cookies or whatever. He stayed with us as he ministered. And even in that moment when I wanted to stay in the place of remembering my pain, God kept shifting me back into the tension of remembering the present and to perceive that he was still with me in the form of Rodney Henderson, (laughs) a Southern powerful Holy Spirit man of God. Buying me flowers and cookies, Krispy Kreme donuts, actually. (laughs) And when I began to allow myself to get ministered to, I started remembering. You guys still with me? 
because we're going all over the place, right? I started remembering that God was still good. And I started remembering that he was still faithful. And I started remembering all the ways that he delivered me in the past of brokenheartedness and hardships. And hope began to fill in my heart again. And then I had a second surgery. I found out that all was still not well, that it wasn't over. Just when I was getting back on my feet, the doctor said, we have to have another surgery. And that day I had to get another surgery. And by God's grace, you know what, who was in Korea at the time? My mom, my mom flew out to Korea to take a rest from things back at home and to be with me. And crazily, she was there when I had my second surgery. And so when I tried to go back to the remembering the pain and, oh, woe is me, God kept telling me, no, forget that. Forget that. Forget the hopelessness. And be in the present when my mom would make me miyokuk every day for every meal. Now, I don't really want to remember that part because <laughs> it's like, can't stand miyokuk now, but it's good for you. And that's why she did it. And she did all the laundry and she washed all the dishes and brought all the groceries and took care of me and cleaned the house. And, and there in my present, God opened my eyes to perceive I'm still with you. And now in this place, everybody and their mama is getting pregnant. I don't know if you guys know that, but New Philly, it's like explosion of the pregnancies and it's awesome. And I, Ironically, I was the first person to get pregnant this year. And after I, get pre I got pregnant, every month after, another woman has gotten pregnant. And we have all these new pregnancies in the house, and there was a temptation for me to think, what the heck? Not only that, my brother, his wife is pregnant. We were due the same month. I'm going to be a, an auntie to a boy, which I knew, by the way. I called it. And my cousin, my, one of my best cousins, uh, best cousin, what? Best friend who's a cousin, she also is pregnant now. And so everybody around me is pregnant that I cherish and that I love. And I feel like the whole world is getting pregnant. And here I am, and I'm the only one, obviously. Y'all better not get pregnant, by the way. That's like another message, all right? So don't even make me go there. I'm about to preach something. This fear of God come upon you all. But everybody who's married is getting pregnant around me. And so I'm having this temptation to go back to the place where, oh, God has forgotten about me. To go back to the pain of my miscarriage. To remember how much it sucked. To remember the disappointment. To remember the fear that I had. But there's a supernatural grace. That temptation... I don't think I've ever entertained even for a minute because God has been so clearly showing himself true to me throughout this process because I was able to perceive it that I'm in this unshakable place of hope for my future pregnancy and this unshakable hope for my future family and unshakable joy for the present where my beloved friends and family are pregnant. How can I stand here today and be all good? It's because God was teaching me this dance of the tensions between time, between past, present, and future. He didn't allow me to linger too long in one place, but allow me to move from one place to another of remembering because it's a cycle. When you forget, you begin to remember what you need to remember. When you remember, you begin to perceive what God is doing. When you perceive what God is doing, you're able to hope. And that just starts all over again. It's the cycle of faith that God wants to cultivate you in. And so I want to teach you today, stay in the tension of all four. Forget, remember, perceive and hope. Because as you stay in that place of the four tensions of time, you will be unstoppable. A part of me is so sad that this is coming to an end. 
Some of you guys are here for another semester. Some of you we have for another four years. Some of you another three, whatever it may be. Irregardless, when we return again next semester, things are going to be different. And therefore, this chapter is coming to an end, whether you're staying or whether you're going. And that means as we're getting ready to close this door on this semester, on what God has done in spring 2013, and as we're getting ready to enter summer 2013, we need to learn how to move with the times. God has so many extraordinary things planned for you. Amen. He wants you to forget who you used to be. Forget the rejection. Forget the sin. Forget the shame. Forget the hopelessness. He wants you to remember the breakthroughs. He wants you to remember the prophetic words. He wants you to remember the prayers that you received. He wants you to remember the words that were preached to you. And he wants you to perceive what he's doing right now. Even in the midst of what looks like a wilderness, you will be able to perceive a way. And even what feels like a desert, you'll be able to perceive a river. Only if you behold him. And as you stay in that place of perception, you'll be able to hope. And as you hope, God will begin to launch your faith into another level of desire and hunger for more of him than you've ever experienced.